Please stand as you're able for today's reading of the scripture. Today's scripture lesson comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Hear these words. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return with the rain and the days when the guards of the house tremble and strong men are bent and the women who grind cease working because they are few and those who look through the windows see dimly when the doors on the streets are shut and the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird. And all the daughters of the song are brought low. When one is afraid of heights and terrors are in the road, the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desires fail because all must go to their eternal home and the mourners will go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped and the golden bowl is broken and the pitcher is broken at the fountain and the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the breath returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher, all is vanity. Beside being wise, the teacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs. The teacher sought to find pleasure, pleasing words, and he wrote words of truth plainly. The saying of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are collected sayings that are given by one shepherd. Of anything beyond these, my child, beware. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for that is the whole duty of everyone. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you, Michael, for reading our lesson. It's so good to be back with you. It's hard to believe that uh, this is the last Sunday of the month of February and that on Wednesday evening at 6.30, as Toy has mentioned, we'll gather together to begin uh, this sequence of the Lenten journey, the pilgrimage to Holy Week, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, uh, Silent Saturday, and Easter Sunday. We have much to look forward to 
as we begin this holy pilgrimage together. I want to thank especially uh, Paul Farrington for being on the bench today, who is a, a wonderful substitute. Greg Bunn is in Montgomery, Alabama today. Uh, who will, he'll be doing a concert there, First Methodist, I think, in Montgomery. And we miss Greg, but we're grateful to Paul, Patsy, and James, and all who lead us today, and to each of you for your presence. Uh, we are coming to the end today of this five-week study on Ecclesiastes. And I feel that some of you are relieved about that, uh, especially the clergy, by the way, or at least they've told me that. E preaching through Ecclesiastes is some of the heavy lifting of preachers. It is tough sledding sometimes. I, I should, however, tell you, I should warn you that next week we're starting a new series on Job in a series called Why Me? And we're going to think together during this Lenten season about theodicy, about the nature of suffering and evil. And we will complete in this school year this series on the wisdom literature. There are three books, of course, and we've done Proverbs. We're completing Ecclesiastes today, and then we'll finish with Job during Lent, 20 weeks of the wisdom material. The last five weeks, we have been reading lessons that are a bit somber. They're sobering to the ear. Sometimes, even today, it feels as though it sucks all the air out of the room. In fact, some of you would say that Ecclesiastes is even past somber to pessimistic. Some wonder and have wondered through the centuries why this book was included in the sacred canon but the inclusion of Ecclesiastes in the Hebrew canon is no mistake. It's no accident. It belongs in the canon because of its realism, its earthy wisdom under the sun. If you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that there are many through the years who have critiqued our Judeo-Christian worldview as being somewhat naive some people think a bit unrealistic or even utopian, Pollyanna, pie in the sky, but Ecclesiastes will have none of that. This is a book that articulates from beginning to end the quest, the search of a man who had everything, who is desperately trying to make sense of life and faith. He probably had a Williamson County tag may have been from Brentwood. He was very affluent. He may have been a king. Some believe he was Solomon. He has had the best that life could offer, and yet now in the twilight, in the sunset of his days, he's passing on his wisdom, his insights, to the next generation. The final chapter, Mike, that you read, chapter 12, is actually an allegory of old age. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? The teacher, Kohelet, is speaking figuratively, metaphorically, about the ailments that come with age, or what we sometimes call seniority, or senioritis in some cases. Like an oncoming storm, says the writer, like a door that's closing, like grinding that's slowing down, like clouds that follow the rain, like a dilapidated old house, 
like a grasshopper that has lost his spring, like a well whose bucket has become untethered and can no longer reach the water. It's an allegory about getting old. Now, I've discovered now nearing the age of 60 that there's a fine line, there's a small window between potential and has been. My mother sometimes says it like this, old age is not for sissies. And some of you would say amen to that. And the teacher knows it. And so in this final chapter, what he's doing is he's contemplating his own funeral. He's cogitating his own mortality. Anybody remember the syndicated writer Ann Landers, who for 53 years gave advice to people who asked her questions? She once wrote a column about the stages of life. She said, and I quote, at age 20, we worry about what others think about us. At age 40, we don't care what others think about us. At age 60, we discover that others haven't been thinking about us at all. And finally, at age 80, we can't remember what we've been thinking about. And so it is. One of my 90-year-old friends who's a member of the church told me the other day, Pastor, I'm not really old. I've just been young for a really long, long time. In chapter 12, this old teacher is considering his mortality. And now he's encouraging his protégés in the class, he's encouraging his young students to do the same. Not because he's being morbid, but because he's being wise. The psalmist says it like this in chapter 144, humankind is like a breath. Our days are like a passing shadow. Psalm 90 says, teach us, O God, to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom. And so in his old age, in wisdom, he's passing along what he's learned. Now, some of you can remember, and some of you who are teenagers know this, that when we're young, we sometimes feel as though we're forever. We can't imagine growing old. We feel somewhat immortal, maybe even invincible. And I thought about this the other day when I was talking to one of our students. He's with us this morning, Ethan Osterlich. I have a picture of these three students, or, or one teacher, two students from Brentwood Academy. Ethan is on the far right. He's in the left, in the back of the, where are you, Ethan? Just raise your hand, there he is. He's a senior at Brentwood Academy. He was on a school trip last month, January, to Costa Rica. He and a friend and a couple of teachers made arrangements for a boat and a guide to take them fishing. They were about three miles, he said, offshore, when suddenly the wind began to pick up. The waves got seriously choppy, and there's a storm that's brewing. And the motor gave out on the boat, and suddenly, in all of that strong current, the dinghy capsized. The boat sunk. Ethan told me that the waves were so strong that they knocked the contacts right out of his eyes to the point that he could barely see the coastline anymore. And for three hours, he swam and he swam and he swam with no progress. And it occurred to them that they might not make it to the bank. 
And yet he said, in the midst of that chaos, I felt this overwhelming sense of peace. I remembered God. And though I was getting nowhere fast, I felt the presence of God all around me. Later, he said, I found out that one of our teachers on the shore, about the time that the boat capsized, sensed that something was awry and began praying for us in earnest. And after three hours of treading water, the rescue came, and Ethan Osterley and his friends were saved. He said, when I got home, I got back to school, the administrators said that they could offer me some counseling if needed. He said, I'm fine, but my mother (laughs) could use a little help. And I tell you that because it reminds me of the teacher's counsel to his students in chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come, and they do come, don't they? You don't have to wait for middle age. (laughs) You're already there. They do come. I said to my wife some time ago, everything that we're getting ready to do makes everything we've just done look easy. And so it is with life. She's not here today. She's left me for the weekend. She and our daughter Haley are looking at wedding dresses for Haley, not for Sherry. (laughs) They sent me a picture yesterday. I share this with you as a prayer concern. It's a beautiful dress, and so I had to take the one that I had bought for her back to Walmart. (laughs) He's not being pessimistic, the writer of Ecclesiastes. He's being a realist. He's preparing the next generation for what's to come. And you don't do that by denying the trouble. You just say it. Life is precious. Life is beautiful. Life is amazing, but it's fleeting. The word hebel, which translates into meaningless or vanity, can also mean temporary. It means that we're brief. We're impermanent, we're transient. Listen again to chapter 12, verse 7. From dust we come, to dust we will return. You'll hear that again on Ash Wednesday when you receive the imposition of ashes. Such counsel is given to the young not to scare us, but to challenge us. As Allison said last week, hashtag YOLO, you only live once. This is a reality. And so the teacher wants to be clear. I think the key word in this text, more than any other, is the word remember. In Hebrew, the word is zakar, Z-A-K-A-R. It means imprint. It means inscription. Memory is vital to life. Memory is vital to faith. Men, if you don't believe that, forget her birthday. It's vital. Forget the anniversary. Some of you forgot Valentine's Day and confession will follow after the benediction. Memory. I think that's why teaching our children and youth is so critical. Because spiritual formation, it's not just important for now. It's important for later so that when the undertow pulls, 
And when the current and the waves are against you and the boat flips, they'll hold steady and reach the shore. Remember. It's amazing to me how many times you see that word in the Scripture, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Remember that you once were slaves in Egypt. Remember the rock from which you were hewn. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember me, said a thief, when you come into your kingdom. A troubled prodigal boy who was in the far country came back home to himself only when he remembered his daddy. And there was a group of women who went to a cemetery one morning. A stone had been rolled away and an angel said to them, don't you remember what he said? That he'd be crucified and on the third day, memory. Elie Wiesel, the Jewish Holocaust survivor and writer of a classic work that some of our high schoolers have read called Night, said, without memory, there is no culture. Without memory, there's no civilization. Without memory, there's no faith. There's no future. There's no society. Week before last, I had a little study break, and I try to do that every year in February to, to think and to pray about where we're going as a church. I went off this time, and among other books that I read, I decided each day to read a gospel. And so on Monday, I read the Gospel of Matthew. It was a slow read from chapter 1 to chapter 28. On Tuesday, I read the Gospel of Mark. On Wednesday, Luke. On Thursday, John. Slow read. I would read it slowly, sometimes aloud, and then outline it just so that I could remember what he said, so that I could remember anew the things that he did. And I was reminded when I was gone that that time apart, I was reminded that working for Jesus is no substitute for spending time with Jesus. There is no substitute for walking with Jesus. There is a spiritual amnesia that is loose in the world that sometimes affects the church where we become forgetful of Christ. The best teaching and preaching quite often is not that which teaches us something new, but is that which reminds us of something we already know that we need to remember. And not just cognitively speaking, that word remember in the Hebrew is about active doing, not just about thinking. It's about doing. There's something else in this scripture that comes to my mind that I want to share with you. And not only is it essential to remember God in our youth, but I think it's important for adults to remember what it's like to be a youth. I've discovered that sometimes in our own community, we want our children to grow up too fast. I saw a t-shirt that was attached to a millennial the other day that said, I'm not adulting today. And I knew the feeling. We need to remember sometimes what it's like to be a kid. Has anybody seen the movie 
It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Raise your hand. You've seen that movie. Some of you have seen it. You must, you must see it. It's the story of Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, played by Tom Hanks. And one of the stories in the film that is recalled is about a group of doctors. They were ophthalmologists who invited Fred to consult with them about a concern that they had. This was their concern. The kiddos who come to see us are afraid of us. And so we want to help them not be afraid. So they asked Fred to come and share with them how he might help them reduce this fear. He gave them one sentence of advice that changed their world. He said, remember that you once were children too. That's it. (laughs) That's it. Because he believed if the doctors could tap into their own childhood and remember what it's like, that they would be able to calm the fears of these children. Fred Rogers taught us how to see the world as a child all of his life. Reminds me of another teacher who one day in a room full of adults took a little child in his arms and said, if you want to understand the kingdom of God, you've got to become like Jackson Cooper. You've got to become like a child. There's one other scene in the film where Fred practices his own preaching. I love this scene. Some of you will remember it. There's a little boy who's very hostile, agitated, His parents have brought him to see Mr. Rogers. The boy comes in completely oblivious to Mr. Rogers. He's wielding a big plastic sword, which he's swinging at people indiscriminately. He wouldn't even look at Mr. Rogers. Fred stood before him, gentle yet unmovable, and then he got on his knees and he said to him, that's a mighty big sword you have. You must be very strong to be able to hold it. And then Fred leaned over and whispered something in this boy's ear, and to the shock of his family, the boy spontaneously opened his arms and gave a hug to Mr. Rogers, and they left. As Fred was leaving the room, the producer said to him, Fred, uh, what did you say to that troubled boy? He said, I whispered in his ear, you must be very strong on the inside too. And it broke down his defenses and it changed his world. Remember that you were once a child. The last two lines of chapter 12, I think may be the most important It's the epilogue. In fact, the writer speaks in third person at the end of this text after the poetry of the first eight verses. Some say it's a different writer. Perhaps it is. It doesn't matter. But he's speaking in the third person, and he summarizes his thoughts, all this philosophy, in one sentence. This is the end of the matter. All has been heard Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of humankind. Worship God 
and obey his teaching. After every philosophy, after every viewpoint, after every perspective under the sun is considered, he concludes his essay not with empty hands, but with open hands. Hands open to the living God in the simple truth of two things. Jesus made it even less complicated, didn't he? When asked by teachers of the law to summarize the law and the prophets, he said, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the book hinges on these two commands. And don't you forget it. Last word. Adam Jones, who's with us, our youth director, shared a poem with me last week that was written by one of our youth. She's a sixth grader, just confirmed, who's already sensing a call at age 12 to be a youth pastor when she's already voiced it. In her middle school wisdom, she, in the privacy of her own spirit, composed a little piece called God Is. I want to share it with you. God is the sunshine in a storm. God is the strength when you're weak. God is the sweet when life is bitter. God is the love in the midst of hate. God is the friend when you're lonely. God is the color in a black and white world. God is the truth in a life full of lies. God is the simple when life is complex. God is the worth when life feels worthless. God is the courage when you're afraid. God is the peace when you're at war. God is the warmth when you get cold. God is the fullness when you're hungry. God is the day in the dark of night. God is the good triumphing over evil. God is the life when all else is dead. God is the light in the darkness. It's not the first time that a 12-year-old has taught the elders of the temple. I'd say she has the wisdom of Solomon and she has the heart of Jesus because somebody has given that child something to remember. And now she's reminding us to love God, to keep his teaching, and you will discover the very opposite of what a wise man centuries ago said. Meaningless? No. Meaningful. Meaningful. All of life is meaningful when you remember your God and when you remember you're his child. When you do that, you will find what you are looking for and you won't be chasing the wind anymore. You'll be surrendering your heart.
May it be so for me, for us, for Christ's sake, for the world's sake. Amen.